0: I fear that this is going to be like a very contentious episode, Mayo. Nah. At least parts of it.
1: It's not super contentious. Because of a particular purchasing decision Look, I made. We're just, after we're just going over you... the MacBook Pro reviews because none of us got any of them. So we're relying on what other no. people have reported about it to know how good they are or not. I definitely didn't tell you I wasn't going to make
0: a purchase and tell the entire world that I wasn't going to make a purchase. Then make the purchase. But yeah, we'll talk about the reviews first from the professionals. <laughs> who got the review
1: units from Apple. I mean, it was basically as expected, right? Because this is an incremental uh, generation, as in the designs of both the iMac and the Mobile Pro is identical to the previous model, apart from the color. Uh, And the big difference is the internal chip upgrade. And when they announced the specs last week, we didn't know for sure, but you could kind of back out rough approximations. And it mostly fell in line with what we expected to. So, like, there were, I, I didn't really come to these reviews expecting any surprises, and there wasn't really any. Right. Yeah. The M3 MacBook Pro reviews, so the base
0: model, the new 1599 machine, those reviews seem to primarily focus on the starting point of 8 gigabytes of RAM and the single display limitation that we talked about a little bit last week. It seems to be kind of divisive. Lots of people are saying... No MacBook with a Pro in the name should start at 8 gigabytes. Everyone else is saying Apple Silicon, you know, you have swap to the SSD. RAM doesn't really matter anymore. Apple itself, I thought this was interesting, kind of chimed in on the controversy. So Bob Borchers, who is, what is he, like a vice president of product marketing He's or great, something? He's Greg
1: Reacts, old job,
0: basically. That's right, yeah. yeah. So he said in an interview that 8 gigabytes of RAM on a Mac... Is analogous to 16 gigabytes on a PC and he said in a quote comparing our memory to other systems memory actually isn't equivalent because of the fact that we have such an efficient use of memory and we use memory compression and we have a unified memory architecture I think I pretty much fall in line with what he's saying here that eight gigabytes of RAM is probably fine It's what the the Touch Bar MacBook Pro started at, and it's what the MacBook Air starts at. And if you really want 16 gigabytes of RAM, you can just pay the $200. I think the external display limitation is the bigger deal here. This machine is still so much more quote-unquote pro than what it's replacing.
1: The, The Bob Borges quote is interesting because normally Apple doesn't bother commenting on stuff like that. They would just let the conversation play out. So the fact that they responded so directly rather than just saying, we think the MacBook Pro is a great combination of power and yeah. a, an incredible 1599 price by like addressing it so directly. Um, you can probably niggle a bit with his comment in terms of like the unified memory architecture because that means that the memory is shared between CPU and GPU like the GPU doesn't have its own dedicated memory. So you could argue that mm-hmm. on this 14-inch MacBook Pro with a higher resolution display, they actually need more RAM to be able to drive the display buffer, for instance. Yeah. Right? Like, there are, you know, you can technically, you know, mess about with it. And really, 8 gigabytes on Windows is not equivalent, sorry, 16 gigabytes on Windows is not equivalent to 8 gigabytes of Mac just because of their architecture. It is true that under swap conditions, the, you know, Apple Silicon does run pretty, pretty well and it's hard to notice. But, you know, ultimately RAM is RAM. So if you have a 5 gigabyte document, you can't load it if you only you know you can't load it all into memory yeah, if you've only got a right. gig thing because you you know a gig or two is taken up by the system and then you've got a couple of apps and then you go into swap. Um, I agree that there are plenty of quote unquote pro use cases that wouldn't notice the eight gigabyte of RAM difference, but you can't say that it's like irrelevant because there's a reason why Apple sells you 128 gigs of RAM, right? Like clearly it matters in 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 a lot of cases, and it is 100% true that if you shipped a 16 gigabyte laptop rather than an eight gigabyte laptop overall performance would be better so like i don't think it's a deal breaker or a terrible crime on humanity that the macbook pro starts with 8 gigabytes of ram but it would be better if it was 16 gigabytes of ram and the the point that i kind of turn to a bit more is like you know obviously the ram is where apple makes a lot of its margin right because you have to pay $200 to get the extra ram upgrade that yeah. isn't addressed in bob borcher's statement at all right like
0: well i think the counter argument to that is Apple looks at the margins on particular components, but the margin it cares about is the overall margin for the whole entire widget, the whole entire laptop itself. And it could be that on something like the display, it's not really making a, much of a margin. So the higher margin on the RAM is what it al- what allowed it to bring that mini-LED ProMotion screen to this computer.
1: Yeah. Wait, uh- you sound skeptical of that a a bit when you're selling a computer for 1600 i think there's plenty of margin that they could play with in there if they really wanted to yeah Um, just like on if you look at the phones from all from all the analysis we've had the iphone 15 pro max is and iphone 15 pro is the most um highest bill of materials cost ever and they didn't put the price up, right? Like, so, like you know, they have they have space to move around when the when the market is competitive. In the laptops, they just have really good laptops, so they can basically be like, "Well, we're going to charge this much for it, and you're going to buy it because we know it's good, and there isn't really competition, um, and we're okay with having smaller market share or whatever else." So, like, yeah, obviously they could put sixteen gigabytes of RAM in it, and their business would be perfectly fine. But they're a company that likes making money, so they they put eight gigs in. They assume probably rightly that ninety five percent of people that buy that machine, uh will not incur any downside or be negatively impacted on the brand and anybody else will pay extra for it and that's how it goes but yeah saying that like eight gigabytes and gigabytes for, is it just equivalent because of the platform isn't 100 true but the underlying sentiment i think is reasonably accurate and i would agree with you that more people will notice the single display limitation than the ram situation
0: maybe it. A- A telling factor is that the reviewers who got the new M3 MacBook Pro review unit were given a configuration with 16 gigabytes of RAM and 1 terabyte of storage, which that's not unusual. Apple doesn't usually give out the base model to reviewers, but in this case, I think it was a little bit funny that the the whole news cycle was dominated by the RAM conversation, and at that point, nobody had actually used the M3 MacBook Pro with 8 gigabytes of RAM. Yeah,
1: the, the main question, the main point I have on the RAM is like, just because it says MacBook Air or MacBook Pro, that doesn't change my mind about how much RAM it should have, right? Like, I know really? people love to be like, well, it says Pro, so it must have Pro specs in every regard. Like, you, that's just a marketing name. You've got to ignore that. Like, I mean, literally the one it's replacing is the 13-inch MacBook Pro, right? Which had 250 yeah, gig yeah. SSD, <laughs> 8 gigabytes of RAM and a touch bar or whatever else. So like, you know, the name situation I don't care for as much.
0: Speaking of the SSD, I guess one thing here is that since it starts at 512 gigabytes, Apple's using two 256 gigabyte storage modules, whereas the 256 gigabyte Touch Bar MacBook Pro just had one 256 gigabyte module. So by having two, the SSD speeds are much better because they can write in parallel to both of those at the same time. This was something that came up that still comes up anytime Apple releases something with 256 gigabytes of storage. So yeah, like the current MacBook Airs.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's I don't think it was a deliberate change necessarily, but more just it starts at more storage. It starts at the same as the higher-end MacBook Pro, so this is what's easiest from a manufacturing pr- perspective. Otherwise, I don't think really anything on the M3 MacBook Pro. The consensus is it's much better than the Touch Bar machine it replaces
1: even though it's significantly more expensive than that model. Like I do think that was slightly yeah. overlooked in some of the commentary. It's like, yeah, it is a way better computer, but you are also paying more for it. So there's, you know, there is it's not like it's they swapped a 1299 computer for an even better 1299 computer. They got rid of a 1299 right. computer and offered you a 15099 computer, or what is more practically the case, they're trying to get people to buy the 1299 MacBook Air 15 inch instead.
0: I wonder if the initial plan was to have this released either at the same time as the 15-inch MacBook Air or just after it, maybe? Because at that point, you replace the 1299 MacBook Pro with this, and then you just slot in that MacBook Air at 1299, and the lineup is a whole lot clearer. I don't know. The marketing perspective of it would have been a lot easier,
1: I feel like. Yeah, possibly. But I think more likely, the, like this is an M3 generation product, right? This was meant to come out this year. Yeah. The M2 generation products, like the 15-inch Air, were meant to come out last year and... There were delays.
0: Did you see the story where some of these M3, the base M3 MacBook Pros shipped with... Ventura. Mac OS Ventura, yeah. yeah,
1: A build from July, I think, and they'd just been sitting around. And they couldn't update on day one because the servers didn't recognize the OS version. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, that is a funny situation. Moving on up the MacBook Pro line, no reviewers got the
0: M3 Pro configuration this was one of your your theories that m3 pro is not significantly better than m2 pro so apple focused on the m3 max for the reviews and the benchmarks we have
1: seen seem to confirm that yeah on multi-core right because on single core on single core m3 m3 pro and m3 max basically get the same score because they're all in the same core architecture right and in many cases for the exact kind of jobs that don't care about the difference between 8 gig and 6 gigabytes of RAM, single-core performance is actually what you care about, right? Like, loading a website, generally, yeah. depending mostly on single-core performance, for instance. um, You know, when you're doing, like, paralyzable tasks, like video editing and stuff like that, or things from multiple files, co-compilation, blah, 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 multi-core becomes more relevant. But for most things you do on a computer, single-core is still the dominant stat. And if that's what you care about, then you can buy the M3 base, right? Because it basically gets the same single-core score. If you're looking at multi-core... Uh, the because of the core composition changes, where they've lost two performance cores in exchange for two efficiency cores on the M3 Pro this year, the multi-core performance on M3 Pro is marginally better than M2 Pro. Probably to the extent that you wouldn't notice it in day-to-day life, right? So, and again, it's not mm-hmm. there's, the chip's still fast. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just clearly not giving you the same year-over-year upgrade that you would get if you were changing from an M2 Max to an M3 Max because on the M3 Max. The cores are faster and they added a lot more cores. So you get a bigger jump there. The M3 Max, yeah, is the big thing here. All of the reviews,
0: I enjoyed Jason Snell's review. He had some good benchmark charts. And this computer, the M3 Max, kind of just blows everything out of the water. I think, as we mentioned last week, even the M2 Ultra. Did you have any takeaways from
1: any of the benchmarks that we saw? Yeah, I was, I was surprised. Like, it, I was surprised on CPU. How close it rivalled the M2 Ultra, um, yeah. But mm-hmm. if you actually do the numbers on the cores and stuff, I guess it kind of works out. Uh, and it, you know, Apple set up to fifty percent, and there you go, multi-core is up to fifty percent. Partly because there's now fifty percent more cores to deal with. um Like that is a big overarching question of this generation. I'd say is like the jump to three nanometer let Apple and um, bump the clock speeds and basically gain you know garner that performance increase. But the um, like the instructions per clock, i.e., like the efficiency of the chip itself, uh, of the chip architecture, doesn't seem to have changed for the past couple of years, uh, and Apple has mostly relied on, or at least hasn't changed the last year, and so they've relied this time just on the difference from going to five to three to get the performance benefit. Uh, in and you can see that in the clock speeds because the clock speeds now go up to four gigahertz. Uh, whereas before like Mm -hmm. 3.6 or something so that's where they're like gaining their their performance from it's not so much on the cpu side you know re-architecting the way that the cpu works which is obviously what they've gone for on the uh gpu Um, and and you know maybe this is their plan all along they were like for this generation when we're going to 3 nanometer we're just going to focus on getting the fabrication down to 3 nanometer maybe we'll come back another year and change the cpu architecture Uh, but it's just a fact uh that's that's what's happened multi-core on on gpu side they have redesigned the architecture um base performance is 20 to 30 percent faster great and then if you do the tasks that the architecture really excels at for instance taking advantage of the hardware the hardware accelerated ray tracing and mesh shading then you can see even bigger performance gains which again was shown in jason snell's benchmarks, because even on like the m3 imac the cinebench test is like three times faster compared to the m1 yeah uh and that is a lot due to the fact that that cinebench test is stressing hardware ray tracing
0: Another tidbit, the 14-inch MacBook Pro with M3 Max gets high power mode this time. Previously, only the M1 Max and M2 Max 16-inch versions got high power mode. I don't know if high power mode actually does anything, but theoretically, it lets your fans run longer and at higher speeds to support more sustained high-end
1: performance. It's a couple of percentage points difference when you're really stressing the chip because Apple the default setting optimizes to some degree um audible noise levels right so they mm-hmm, they yeah they let the computer run hotter and then we the chips will slow down if it's really really stressed because they're not letting the fans run at full speed you turn on high power mode the fans will run at full speed when it's really stressed and then the extra couple of percentage points of performance where otherwise it would be throttled down are unleashed it doesn't make a huge difference in the scheme of things but it's nice that they now offer the option if you really want to on it. Because that's what I turn it on. And to be honest, I don't think I ever really see it do anything, apart from maybe when I'm doing like a handbrake video in code and I just leave the computer running overnight. Like, I don't care how much noise it's making. So, you know, get your extra 2% of performance. I don't care that the, the fans are running twice as loud. The default configuration is fine, honestly, for like almost anything you're doing, apart from when you're literally doing something which is persistently for a long period of time stressing out the cause. Ie, doing a video encode code that takes like ten hours. Uh, otherwise, the default configuration is perfectly fine. But now it, you can get the high, the high performance mode option on fourteen inch 2.
0: So, did any of these reviews make you consider upgrading from your? Because you have what the sixteen M1 inch, max, yeah, max, yeah.
1: Did any of these reviews tempt you? I think if you went back to the M one the the day I bought the M one Max computer, and you asked me to predict what the speeds would be of the one in two years time i probably would have been more pessimistic i.e., the actual reality is faster if you see what i mean so like it's yeah. surprising that they've been able to do this much of a jump in two years uh so like that's thumbs up bro, that's good uh, but it's still not enough to like ditch something you paid three and a half grand for you know two years ago right like it's not so much faster that it's really going to impact my situation to the degree that i feel like it's worth the extra money nothing wrong with it and it's great that they keep making it faster and faster and faster um but day to day even when i'm doing xcode stuff only in very very occasional scenarios are the extra couple of seconds gonna make a big difference or you having to do a whole compilation from scratch where it would be like 30 seconds faster you know i can live with that (laughs) for another couple of years Mm -hmm. before it's time for me to get the m4 or the m5 or whatever
0: yeah, I agree. I didn't feel any need to upgrade. That's all. <laughs> you want to do the do the ad now? <laughs> no. Uh Yeah, I I ended up buying the 14-inch Space Black MacBook Pro with M3 Max. Part of my motivation here was to do an experiment of consolidating to one Mac. So, before this, I was using a 15-inch MacBook Air. And an M1 Max Mac studio. And uh, having two Macs 90 percent of the time is fine. You know, you have iCloud and Apple music and messages in iCloud and all of that to keep things synced and in line between both of them. But there are headaches where. You know, you download one thing and then you go to find it on your you download one thing on like the Mac Studio and you go to use your MacBook Air later, and it's not there, and that's frustrating. I was just, I just wanted to try having one Mac that I plug into my display every day, unplug at the end of every day, and everything stays the same. That's what I do. Yeah. And you do that. I was inspired a little bit by Stephen Hackett, who I talked to about this at the iPhone event in September. And he was like, yeah, this is the best setup I've ever had. This is, he's sticking with his M2 MacBook Pro for a long time. I don't know about that. Anybody who knows Stevens will tell you he's just as bad as me when it comes to buying new things. But yeah, I wanted to do an experiment, and this seemed like the perfect chance to jump in and try it. So, And you like the color. See, I don't know if I like the oh, color. Oh, really? <laughs> I don't know if I do. I think if it hadn't been wanting to have pictures and stuff for our coverage on the site of Space Black, I might have gone silver. Because I don't think space black is that good of a color compared to...
1: No. Now now you've made me sad. (laughs) Look, uh, right. Space black obviously isn't as dark as I'd like it to be, or you'd like it to be, or a lot of people would like it to be. It doesn't really fill the black um, side of the promise. It's more dark, dark, dark gray. But 100%, a dark, dark, dark gray is a more appealing color to me than silver. I guess. I don't...
0: I think coming from the midnight MacBook Air, which is, I still think, the best color that Apple has made sure, yeah. a laptop in for a long time, Space Black is just not different enough from Space Gray. But the fingerprint coating thing, the anodization seal, I don't know. I'm a little bit disappointed in it. I don't think it makes that much of a difference. And if anything, it seems like you don't have as many individual like fingerprints, but it gets streaky. Right. Okay. yeah, yeah. A lot easier so I'm I'm also just curious about how well it's going to hold up over time because if it's a like a seal or a coating theoretically it's going to wear off one thing the MacBook Air the midnight MacBook Air does too is it chips really easily so I wonder if this coating will help that at all on the space black MacBook Pro so far I'm really liking it and I'm I didn't expect to notice much of a speed difference but I do like one thing I do probably at least once a day is the you know in Pixelmator the machine learning like enhanced the quality of this image though. Oh, like
1: super resolution
0: thing yeah yeah super resolution yeah that is significantly faster on this um something else i realized i do a lot more than i thought is using mac whisper you know the app that uses open ai's whisper technology to like transcribe things mm-hmm. that is a lot faster Basically, anytime there's like an Apple interview or like an earnings call, or even an event, I like to run through MacWhisper so I can Command F and search through the
1: transcript. Yeah, that's probably running on the GPU mostly, which uh, yeah. is obviously greatly improved. I think I think you'd be hard pressed to find single core or CPU bound tasks that are noticeably faster to you, apart from maybe the audio export. So that will be the next test. When yeah, you we'll edit see. This podcast. Yeah. yeah. Um, But GPU bound stuff like Mac Whisper 100%, I can see why you could feel that. And I get you, just to clarify, you got the base model Max? The base model M1
0: Max. M3 Max, yeah.
1: M3 Max, yeah. Which has 38 gigs of RAM?
0: 36. 36, which is lower
1: than what you came from.
0: Yes, I had 64 gigabytes in the Mac Studio. So
1: clearly, Bob Borcher's comments uh, echoed in yes. your mind. You're like, I don't need this much RAM.
0: He's right. No, I'm sure he would have loved for me to configure up to whatever, 96 or 128. 128. <laughs> but, yeah. I don't know. What Do you think I'm going to notice the RAM
1: difference? Um, I don't think I will. If you want but to notice it, you can open a load of Safari Windows and keep opening Safari Windows. Yeah. But... I think if you're talking day-to-day practical use, probably not. Like, the eight eight boundary is um, debatable because, like, at that level you are, like, because the system uses, like, one or two and then, you know, a couple of apps open, you're using, like, three, four, five, six, seven. So, like, I feel like when you're on eight, it's fine, but you can, in normal, like, web browsing and whatever use, you can get close to the barrier. When you get up to 36 kind of level it's a lot harder to max the RAM out. The system will use as much RAM as you give it. So it's always better to have more, right? Ignoring how much more it costs to put in. There. Yeah. Um. But in terms of practical situations, I don't think you would see it. Video editing is a case where you're, you know, doing really, really big files and keeping more of that in memory at one time can, can help. But for audio, like the audio files are pretty small so they can stay in RAM, whether you've got 30, 36 or, or 64. So, but, so, I mean, you've only had it a day, but you're happy with it? Yeah. yeah. I'm happy
0: with it. I'm happy to be back on a laptop that has ProMotion and mini LED. Mm-hmm. I'd forgotten about how, just how nice that is. When you're using it on the desk, do you use it screen open or screen closed? Right now, I'm using it screen open on like the 12 south curve, I think is what it's called. So it's propped up next to my display. I might end up Putting it lid closed in another 12 South stand thing off to the side because my Mac Studio was mounted in a thing I bought off Etsy, also inspired by Stephen Hackett, mounted under the desk. So it was more like a Mac, iMac like setup.
1: I might end up doing that again. We'll see. It is a shame to. It, I use it screen open because I feel like being able to see the nice screen is nice. And Apple doesn't currently sell a external that looks as good as that so it's especially when you're looking at like photos or you know video content or whatever. yeah or even like i kind of see contrast um just in like black and white text like i feel like you can see the contrast difference yeah, and it just like if you read my website like com like the text like feels much more like newspapery like inky black it, like i feel like it's really nice um so i have my setup with like external display but it's like vertically above the laptop display which isn't Perfect ergonomically, but it does work and it does let me use the MacBook Pro display quite a lot. So uh, I dig it. I think if you use it screen closed, then it's fine. Like obviously, you know, mm-hmm. it's not it's not like a necessity to have the screen open. But I, I think having it open does give you a bit of extra, and it and it helps you actually use the big display, right? Of the 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 big selling point of the MacBook Pros versus like a MacBook Air.
0: And I'm running everything through an OWC Thunderbolt four hub dock thing so it's one cable going directly to the macbook pro which is nice
1: yeah very similar setup to what i have basically
0: oh yeah Yeah. what hub what thunderbolt thing i have the owc
1: but it's not the thunderbolt 4 one it's the thunderbolt 3 one just because i've had it for longer but yeah basically same same deal
0: one thing i do notice is that the screen on this is obviously infinitely better than the macbook air but i do kind of miss that extra one inch in size yeah i have the 16 inch but yeah, it is pretty heavy. that thing's a tank. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's too big. That's too big. It is it is pretty tanky. I won't deny that. Because what? The MacBook Pro is 14.1 and the MacBook Air is 15.3. So well, I'm sure I'll adjust to that over time. Having the Thunderbolt ports on both sides because you have two on one side, one on the other. That's nice because MacBook Air is everything on the left side. Braided, um, space black. MagSafe cable
1: is very nice. Yeah, I wish I had a color match cable. I can't believe they still screwed me I'm, I'm, I'm still bitter about that. Two years Oh, on, yeah. They, they, they wouldn't even they, give you they, a space gray yeah, yeah. MagSafe cable with my space gray laptop.
0: Yeah, I obviously, like you said, it's only been a couple of days and don't have a whole lot to report yet. Anything you want to know?
1: I guess I kind of asked before, like, your general thing, situation on it. Like, I, I think... One laptop lifestyle is pretty good. I've been doing that for a long time, um, and you know, with Apple Silicon, especially when you plug into monitors, the windows don't get all confused and fly all over the place. Yeah, so like it's very nice. The experience is pretty good, and you know, because it's Apple Silicon, it can be a laptop and still be high performance, right? Which back in the old Intel Mac days wasn't really the case. Like getting a, a desktop Mac or an iMac or something, you could get, for instance, the Xeon in the in the iMac Pro, um, but on the laptops. You know, you've gone from a M2 Max, Mac Studio, to an M3 Max MacBook Pro, and if anything, you've just got faster performance, right? And yeah, obviously, Mm -hmm. when eventually the Mac Studio with the M3 Ultra comes out, it will be faster, but not in a way that I think would really matter to you, so. When
0: I bought the Mac Studio, what, that would have been like April of 22? 22. Yeah. I even thought the base model of, because I just have the base model of it with upgraded RAM and storage. I thought that was overkill yeah. <laughs> and this is even more overkill because what the Mac studio has, I'm getting four more CPU cores, I think, and six more GPU cores. Yeah. Cause it was, t- my Mac studio was 10 core CPU and 24 core GPU. And this is what? 14 core CPU and 30 core GPU. Yeah. So that's overkill.
1: I mean, next week you can report how many seconds faster the audio export was, and then we'll see yeah how well, exactly it was.
0: <laughs> like the audio export is shorter now that I don't have to edit out your desk, your microphone bangs that that were plaguing us <laughs> now that you've got your fancy new mic arm incredible. So that that was a, that was a bigger upgrade to the editing workflow than anything.
1: And when I remember to turn off my fan. Yeah, if you're a normal person out there, I still probably recommend the MacBook Air over the MacBook Pro for mm-hmm. most people because it is generally the right choice. Uh, but if you do want the Pro stuff, like the nicer display and obviously the high performance profile at the high end, uh, you can't really go wrong. The that Pros are great. I still love mine and it's two years old and it still feels almost as brand new as I bought it. So I'm very happy. As are hopefully you will be. Yeah, I think so.
0: I'll report back. I'm most excited to see like the one Mac, the one Mac lifestyle. And I told Stephen, if I hate it, I'm sending him a bill. So... <laughs> It's his fault.
1: Happy Hour This Week is brought to you by Simple MDM. Simple MDM is a powerful and intuitive MDM solution designed to simplify and streamline your Apple device management workflow. Check them out at simplemdm.com/slash 95 mac Deploying a fast growing Apple device fleet can be overwhelming, and then keeping every managed device secure adds even more complexity for companies of any size. Simple MDM offers powerful features and comprehensive device management capabilities to help overcome these challenges. You can automate onboarding, enforce device policy and restrictions, and customize settings with advanced configuration options, all available through a user-friendly interface. Make sure everyone has the apps they need with the ability to deploy App Store apps, volume purchase program, and custom apps with ease. And you can use Simple MDM's Monkey integration to offer a self-service experience for macOS customers. Don't let the complexity of Apple device management slow you down. Simplify your workflows and unleash the full potential of your Apple devices with Simple MDM. Visit their website at simplemdm.com/95mac to learn more and start your 30-day free trial. Thanks to Simple MDM for sponsoring the show. Maybe more interesting than the reviews themselves was Apple's
0: out of character statement that it is not making a 27 inch iMac with Apple Silicon. So it seems like they gave this statement to anyone who reviewed the 24 inch iMac and it was on background, which means outlets had to paraphrase it. There was no direct statement that Apple could qu- or that the publication could quote. So I think The Verge probably summed it up best. I mean, we don't really know because we didn't see the details from Apple and nobody did. But The Verge said, Apple will not be making an Apple Silicon version of the 27-inch iMac to replace the Intel-equipped model that it discontinued in 2022. The company encourages those to have been holding out for a larger iMac to consider the Studio Display and a Mac Studio or a Mac Mini. This statement almost seems worthless to me. It's so, it's so funny a, because
1: it's like as uncharacteristic as an Apple PR statement as the RAM comment is, like... You don't really yeah. expect them to say stuff like that, and they, you know, they very rarely talk about future products or directional roadmaps. And this is exactly that. But at the same time, it's almost a nothing statement because they qualify yeah. it as they're not going to make a 27-inch iMac. No one was expecting them to make a 27-inch. Exact. IMac. Yeah.
0: <laughs> the rumors have been 30 or maybe 32.
1: Yeah. Not 27. And the way The Verge framed it, it's like specifically talking about replacing the Intel model that they discontinued in 2022. Yeah. But the iMac Pro Intel was discontinued way before that.
0: Oh yeah. When
1: that was like twenty nineteen. Twenty yeah. nineteen, yeah. So the model that we're really waiting for is an Apple Silicon replacement for the iMac Pro, a product yeah. that, that is not even referenced by this statement in e- either in like the model being replaced or the screen size. So like I've I've fully expect them to at some point come out with an Apple Silicon iMac Pro still. This statement doesn't change my mind on that at all. This statement's come out because they want people that are sitting there with Intel IMAX right now to be like, yeah. okay, it's time to upgrade. Apple's not coming out with one that's exactly my size, so you're going to have to go and get this 24-inch one instead. And that's what the statement's there for. It's for saying, look, stop waiting. If you happen to be holding on to a hope that we're going to make you a bigger screen version of the IMAX that you have in your house, we're not doing that. Just get the 24-inch and be done with it. As John Turner said in the event the 24-inch right. M3M Mac, is the perfect size and resolution to replace both the 4K and 5K Intel-based models. Because the, the Apple PR statement saying that they're not going to make a 27-inch um, Apple Silicon iMac is basically that same statement as what they said in the event, just put in slightly more definitive words. But I do take question to John Turner's statement, as we did on the show couple of weeks ago, yeah. right? Because it's not the perfect size and resolution to replace a five K Intel based model because the screen's smaller and it's less resolution. So it's basically just mm. an in between model, which is they've they've figured out is what people are gonna buy on average. So they're only making one SKU. They don't seem to be too uh, invested in making multiple IMAC SKUs, as indicated by the fact that they the first update to it since they did the IM one IMAC is just a chip change, no other changes, and they couldn't even really bother to replace the peripherals to have the right port on the bottom. So like you know, I think they've been like, we only sell one million iMacs a year or two million iMacs a year. We don't have the bandwidth to make both twenty-four and twenty-seven-inch versions of it for the consumer market. I do still think there is plenty of room for them to do a Pro iMac in the future that is the colorally to a Mac to a Mac Studio or a Mac Pro, but with a screen in it. An all-in-one computer form factor is quintessential Apple. It makes so much sense. I would be really disappointed if they gave up on it altogether. Even though, obviously, laptops dominate sales in terms of overall Mac business, I think they will at some point do an iMac Pro that is 30 inches, 32 inches. And if they're smart about it, they can take advantage of the benefits of that form factor of having a display in the computer in the same body, i.e. right now it's quite hard to even make like a 5K external display at a high um, ProMotion-style refresh rate because the bandwidth over Mm -hmm. the HDMI cables doesn't really support it until the very most recent generation of HDMI cable. And you can imagine the future, the resolution keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. The rumor, you know, we've heard about a 7K external display from Apple, right? Like even higher resolution screens as the screens get bigger, even more demand for higher frame rate and uh, color depth and all these other things that consume bandwidth. So if you want to avoid the problem of IO to an external display, do it in a new iMac, Here's the iMac Pro 2025, and it has a 32 inch screen, high refresh rate. You know, takes about all the bells and whistles to be able to be permanently fused to the laptop, to to the to the computer itself, just as the five K iMac did way back in the day. You know, more than a decade ago, where it basically gave customers a really easy way to get a Retina display. That's a big screen with a good resolution in a computer form factor when 5k external displays weren't really a thing so i think there's definitely room for them to do an iMac pro i think a lot of people would buy it that currently buy the Mac studio or the Mac pro uh, but it's not a number one priority then for them because the laptops are more important so they've, they've pushed out new MacBook Pro. they've pushed out new MacBook airs the iMac pro project is probably underway as German has indicated but it's going to be a few years away uh, and the statement that they've released this week is not about that product at all, it's about a product that yeah. they've decided they're not going to make. What
0: do you think about the argument that you should just go for a Mac Studio or a Mac Mini paired with a Studio display? Because there are a lot of benefits to that. I mean, look at what I just talked about replacing my setup. I got to keep the same display, which I wouldn't have been able to do if I was using an iMac at the, as my desktop Mac. Uh,
1: hasn't Apple I was always, always gone to just, for like integration makes a better product and doing it all together and you know yeah like i i I don't know i feel like the the narrative of studio display plus mac studio is a said what we have right kind of scenario where like that's true that's what they offer so that's what they promote the quintessential apple design is something that's all built in it just feels right it's kind of like saying Do you want a MacBook or do you want like an iPad with a keyboard case? You know, you've got the flexibility of changing the iPad in the future, but keeping the same keyboard case. Whereas when you buy a MacBook Pro, the keyboard comes with it. It's like, you know, it doesn't really work, I think. So I think it's great that they have, there's definitely a segment of the market that likes having separate boxes. And so they've always offered Mac minis before and now they offer a Mac mini and a higher end model. Uh, But I do think the iMac has a load of appeal. And for the same, you know, they they show it being used in, like, family situations or on desks and it looks nice. And, you know, when they did the M1 iMac, part of it having that fancy design was, like, a a statement that people like things that look good. And you can't deny that an all-in-one computer looks better than the separate display and box that you have to have cables trailing through. You know, if you could get to a world where you could have, like, a wireless external display and you could literally hide the Mac Studio in, like, a cupboard then I feel like the argument starts to wear down. But as long as that isn't the case, which is not going to be anytime soon, I think an all-in-one pro desktop still has a very, very strong place. I wonder if they priced themselves into a corner
0: a little bit with the studio display. Because the studio display is $1,600. Whereas I want to say the most recent Intel 27-inch iMac started at like 2000 Yeah,
1: it was around. I think it was a little under. Yeah, it was around yeah. that area. That was part. That was partly because they hadn't updated it in a while. Like there were some mitigations. Yeah, making, that's so, true. Um, but the studio display at 1600
0: doesn't give you a whole lot of room to make a Mac, an iMac, with per, maybe that same display, while not also making the va- the better value being the studio display and
1: something extra. Yeah, which you is know? why I didn't. It, I didn't have it, have it, have, it, have ever had any plans to do that. Right, like. Yeah. they did the 24 inch m3 iMac that's what they went for they they went very clearly for the midway between their old 21 inch and the 27 inch and so they split the difference and they did a 24 In i would not be surprised at all if that was always the plan they've never deviated from that the iMac pro is the yeah. different product line that was discontinued in 2019 and will i'm sure eventually make a comeback but that is not today and it was $5,000. And it was $5,000 exactly. started at. And if you're getting to the $5,000 level, you can put in the fancy display with promotion and high refresh rate and, you know, color depth and lots of resolution and everything else. And well, then, the Pro Display XDR would like a word on that. Yeah. That's
0: $5,000 without most of those things and without a Mac inside.
1: Well, the Pro Display XDR is dated and overpriced. That so. is true. I just think this quote is just hilarious and how empty it really is because it's saying it's empty, but it's also so It's not specific. saying anything that we didn't yeah. expect. I, oh, yeah, right. It doesn't change my outlook on their future product plans at all.
0: Other future product plans. Mark Gurman at Bloomberg. This was, what, like two weeks ago and we didn't get a chance to talk about it because of the event and all the Mac stuff. Kind of a really in-depth report on Apple's plans for health features in the Apple Watch the more immediate timeline things are he says the series 10 next year will be able to monitor blood pressure and sleep disturbances so this would help you diagnose hypertension and sleep apnea with the limitation that the blood pressure part of it won't actually give you specific readings but rather comparisons against the baseline similar to the temperature sensor in the apple watch so you won't get systolic and diastolic numbers you just see like oh your blood pressure is elevated or it's getting higher you should talk to your primary care doctor about how to take care of your blood pressure then once you do make those changes you can compare the decline to see if you're actually making progress towards lowering your blood pressure
1: yeah the big news here really is that Garmin had previously kind of indicated that he wasn't expecting much from the apple watch next year yeah uh, mm-hmm. and now he's like well actually no it's going to have these couple new sensors to offer these new features so at least gives it a reason to do a C- series 10 and obviously there there's the ongoing rumor that they're going to do this big redesign you know the apple watch x kind of situation like they did with the iphone 10 but for the apple watch uh it, at least right now it doesn't seem like that's going to be ready for 2024 it seems more like a 2025 mm-hmm. situation um but that, the the rumors there are still pretty fluid to
0: these rumors about blood pressure and sleep apnea how are you feeling about your series 9 purchase <laughs> my blood
1: pressure's gone up <laughs> yeah <laughs> Oh whatever, like I would I don't whatever. use it to go to sleep with, so that's one crossed off.
0: I told you to try it. I haven't done it yet. Sorry. This makes me feel good about not upgrading my ultra, which I never even really came close to doing because blood pressure concerns are something in my family, and that as I get older, are already starting to already starting to hear about that from my doctor. So that'll be that. Sounds a lot more useful for me than the temperature sensor stuff, and even. Kinda of like the blood oxygen oxygen stuff.
1: Yeah, blood pressure is definitely a concern and it would I would love it if it had been in the series nine, but it's not probably enough for me to be like, I'm gonna upgrade the next year, you know? Like I'll just hope that my blood pressure stays okay for three to four years before I upgrade the watch again, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> or if you'd you know, practically speaking, in the real world, what people do is they just buy a twenty pound blood pressure monitor from the internet yeah. and they check it that way. But
0: then you're like me where you're like, well, I don't want to know. If I know, if I take my blood pressure, if I sit down and dedicate myself to taking my blood pressure and the number comes back high, my blood pressure is going to go up and then I'm just not going to take it anymore. Whereas the Apple Watch is ambient. Theoretically, yeah. always in the background, just monitoring things. Not that it won't give you bad
1: news if it needs to, but at least you get more longer term data. Yeah, averaged out. And then the other kind of news in the government report that stood out to me was the fact that Apple was apparently really close to, what, to launching Android support for the Apple Watch and the health app, as in a way to expand the Apple Watch market and to bring their health initiatives to more people. So not just iOS to bring to Android, but that was apparently shuttered at the very last moment. Uh, the execs decided that it would cannibalize iPhone sales too much, so they pulled back on it. But apparently they got really, really close to launching watch support on Android and then Change their mind that's surprising to me i because
0: you there's so many things about the apple watch that rely closely on being paired to an iphone because the apple watch itself like it's gotten more independent over the years but if for instance you don't have a cellular enabled apple watch i don't fully understand how that would work with an android device i mean you can't even set up can an apple watch really... today
1: without an iphone so like yeah mm-hmm. if you have an ipad you can't use an apple watch like so <laughs> they're a long way off even making it independent on their ecosystem, let alone uh, Android. I think, you know, over the long arc of time, those decisions about Android support will probably be reevaluated, right? And at some point yeah. they will mm-hmm. do it, but like they're in no rush. And when they eventually do it, they can like launch a watch companion app on Android OS, I guess, and do it that way and et cetera, et cetera. But if 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 the Apple Watch was the company obviously it would already be on android but yeah that's not the company so it has different priorities and different roadmaps and situations and it seems like apple watch has been pretty solid it's not like they're desperate to sell more so like the the android lever is something that will always be there and something they can pull when they have to but it doesn't seem like there's a near term pressure to do that they haven't even made a tv app for android have they they have not much to my chagrin so, yep. one step at a time yeah <laughs> Happy Hour This Week is also sponsored by ZocDoc. Download the app for free at ZocDoc.com slash happyhour. You know that feeling you get when you finally find the thing that you've been searching for on the internet? After spending hours researching and reading thousands of reviews, you find the perfect tool for the job. I did this to find a new lawnmower, and it's been amazing. Five-star reviews, had it shipped in 48 hours, and it is indeed glorious. But how come you can get the most random, wonderfully reviewed thing from around the world in two days, but if you want to see a good doctor, it can take forever to get an appointment? And how do you know if they're even good in the first place? Thankfully, there is a way. It's called ZocDoc. Find and book great doctors who actually have amazing reviews, many with appointments available within 24 hours. ZocDoc is a free app where you can find amazing doctors and book appointments online we're talking about booking appointments with thousands of top-rated patient-reviewed doctors and specialists. You can filter specifically for the ones who take your insurance, are located near you, and can treat almost any condition that you're searching for. And just like my new lawnmower, the average wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between 24 to 48 hours. That's it. Once you find the doctor that you want, you can book them immediately with just a few app tabs. Simple, fast, and no more awkwardly waiting on the phone to a receptionist, what a great idea. If I need this product, it's what I'd use. So go to ZocDoc.com slash happy hour and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's spelled zocdo ccom happy hour. ZocDoc.com slash happy hour. Thanks to ZocDoc for sponsoring the show.
0: Two weeks ago, pretty much right after we recorded and speculated about it, iOS 17.2 beta 1 was released. The big change here is the Journal app. So Apple announced this at WWDC and said it was coming later this year. It so far it's pretty basic. I don't know if you've tried it, Mayo, briefly. Where it excels is giving you prompts about what to journal, what to journal about every day based on a whole bunch of your data like you can even do like your find my location information and even It'll even monitor if you were close to somebody for an extended period of time, like if you had a friend come in town and you two were together for a few days, then they left. The journal app will tell you like, "Hey, so and so was in town. Why don't you write about what you did?" Then it also has like some pre-canned prompts and like questions it asks you, so it's kind of it can also be like a question and answer thing. And it'll make recommendations based on like photos,
1: music, or like podcast history, so like podcasts, every day using yeah. the podcast app, I can see like on Thursday I listen to this podcast, on Wednesday I listen to these podcasts, and then on Tuesday I, can listen, to these, I listen to these podcasts and you can like click on one and like use it as the jumping off point for a journal entry. And they have music that you've listened to and they've got workouts that you've done. Like that's one where I feel like it's slightly more relevant, like I don't know if I'd ever do a journal entry about a podcast episode, but yeah, um, workouts are something you could imagine like, oh you did a workout here, I'll write about how it went, blah 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 blah. Um, so there's pretty deep integration, um, which is like, it sh- and, and it will do locations, like you said, and it, I, it knows that I went to a quiz night. Obviously, it doesn't know it's a quiz night, but it said on, you know, Saturday, 20th October, yeah. I went to this location I don't normally we go to for an evening somewhere. So clearly, I did something relevant. So I click there and, it you know, automatically geolocate for the journal entry. So like the actual composing process powered by those recommendations is quite clever and different. The issue is, I think, with the journal app is like, after oh, you've written something, the only way to see it at the moment is in this like single scrolling list. Right. And there's not even like a calendar view where you can like pick a day. You just scroll backwards and then there it is.
0: There are, you can bookmark things and there are like filters so you can view entries that only have photos or videos or whatever. But yeah, there's no, no search or calendar or anything. Yeah, it's very, very, very bare bones. No Mac or
1: iPad app either. I mean there wouldn't even be a UI to fill the screen or no yeah. like there's lit like the UI is literally just one list and a plus button at the bottom <laughs> it's like it's pretty basic which
0: the lack of a Mac or iPad app is what sucks for me I think I don't really want like I'll sit down and write a little bit on my phone but if I'm going to like journal and make an effort to write something s- even slightly substantive I want to do that on a laptop
1: or or my iPad yeah. I- I'm sure it will get better over time but it's definitely a very low bar they're starting at it kind of reminds me of like the early days like the health app where like you could input the data but they weren't really great ways for like looking at it and like the charts are very yeah naive and simple and then over time they added like trends and recommendations and highlights and you know all these different visualizations of the information that's the direction the journal app will go in i assume over time but at least for the 1.0 it's not there at all so people that use other journal apps are going to keep on using that And I'm not sure it will satisfy that many people who want to start journaling either. It's a long-term play. They're starting very small. Um, Perhaps arguably too small. Because, like, input is only one half of the journal app situation. Right, yeah. And output and review doesn't really seem to be well served by the application right now.
0: Another thing, too, that makes sense from, like, a privacy standpoint is that I don't think it makes recommendations based on past past things that you've done. So it only starts monitoring for suggestions once you install the app or it comes pre-installed. So once you update and open the app for the first time and give it the necessary permissions to access that data. So you're kind of starting from scratch. It's not smart enough to go back and say, one year ago, this is what you did. Theoretically, in a year from now, it might be able to do that. At the start, you're only going to be prompted to
1: journal about new experiences and new questions and third-party apps can participate in ways and stuff but they can access the recommendations too so that might be how this like has a bigger impact on the industry is you know like oh you did a workout well now in day one they've integrated the api so you can just immediately jump off and do a day one entry from the workout or something yeah there's definitely long if you if you're looking at a longer term view the journaling stuff definitely ties into like Apple's longer term health ambitions and doing that mental health service that has been rumored. Like mm-hmm. you can imagine it tying yeah. into that at some point in the future. Uh but as it stands right now as an independent thing, it feels a bit bit lacking.
0: There's also collaborative playlists in Apple Music in iOS seventeen point two. This is something I've been waiting for and it works really well. It was worth the wait. You can invite people to collaborate on a playlist. You can let them join or you can send the link out and ask people to like apply to join it works well we made a collaborative playlist together mayo and i named it coldplay hits then you proceeded to add an olivia rodrigo song <laughs> so i need to i need to remove you from that playlist <laughs> yeah it works pretty well i also posted a link to a collaborative playlist on threads and said like just come join and add your songs and that was cool there's like probably like 25 people on that playlist who just added random songs so yeah, it works well and it
1: even holds up for bigger for bigger groups of people. It's definitely one of those things that like Spotify's offered for a long time that's always been a thing where it's like, yeah. well, Apple Music doesn't offer a place I can share with the people that they can contribute to. And so they've they've closed the feature gap, which is nice.
0: Apple Music also has a favorites playlist now in 17.2. So this builds on the favorites feature that came with 17.1. Favorite playlist is just a list, obviously, of all the songs you favorited
1: it's nice though because it's like the equivalent of um like because obviously before to see your favorite songs you could do the filter button in the top right yeah you couldn't Mm -hmm. like it's a bit awkward to do that just to then shuffle favorite songs now there's just a direct playlist for that's automatically updated and kept in sync kind of the equivalent of favorite photos in the photo the favorite album in the photo app right Mm -hmm. like this is the smart playlist for your favorites so it's nice i mean a
0: lot of apple music changes so far with 17.0 One and now two. They've they've, they've been pushing
1: ahead on Apple Music in good, good ways.
0: New translate option for the action button. Press the action button and it brings up, like, it starts listening. So you can tell it one language and then it'll translate it into another. Works well. It's different than how I expected it to work. I expected it to be like, translate this text on the webpage. So you press the action button and it does that. But it's more focused on voice to text translation between two different languages and mayo what you're what you were particularly excited about but are now very angry about i was let down the new ad sticker feature you want to tell us
1: about the what how you thought it was going to work and how it actually works yeah so this is a misinterpretation on my part i'm not like pretending apple misled us if you go back and read what they said was coming in ios 17 update it does match completely with their description but I thought it meant something else. So, I think a lot of people agreed with your interpretation. Yeah, I don't think I was the only one sent astray here. What I thought was going to happen is with this update, when you long press on a message in iMessage and it has those tap back options at the top, up there you'd be able to do like a plus button and you'd be able to add an emoji so you could just like pick any emoji you wanted and then it would use that as a tap back and then in the future when you long press on the message, the ta- the emoji would be right there as a quick you know, a quick shortcut to do it. Um, and maybe you could like rearrange the six presets or delete them entirely or whatever else uh, and it was always described as stickers so I thought okay well you press it and then maybe it will like stick on the message blah, blah, blah. I wasn't necessar- necessarily expecting it to be in the same kind of call out bubble that the tapbacks are I just wanted to be able to like you know do a st- like what you do in Slack you do like emoji reactions right to a message and in whatever form in the UI that comes up with is secondary Unfortunately, it doesn't do either of those things. It doesn't put it in a call-out <laughs> bubble or it doesn't make it a shortcut to access. What they've done is when you long press on a message, there's now a button in the menu that says add sticker. And when you click add sticker, it launches the same sticker tray that you get to by pressing the plus button. So basically, it's just a slightly quicker way to add the sticker rather than going to the plus button. And then when you click on a sticker, it kind of like... So you choose an emoji, which you have to do through the sticker interface, Uh which doesn't have like emoji search, right? So it's kind of stupid. Uh, and then it basically automatically places it on the bubble for you as a sticker in the corner of the screen. Some other people have complained that, well, when it does stick the sticker down, it like obscures the text slightly because it's a sticker rather than a tap back call out, which is that separate bubble that appears above the message. Um, so that's also a complaint a lot of people have. I don't care about that part so much. I just think the the big thing I wanted from it was like the quick response to an emoji reaction, and it doesn't really help that in any way, shape or form. I just want to, like, I, the tap at the top of the screen that they have, they have the heart, they have the thumbs up, they have the thumbs down, they have the ha-ha, they have the double exclamation mark, and then the question mark. The only ones I ever use is the heart or the thumbs up. The other four I never touch. So they're literally wasted space. I just want to be able to swap them out and put emojis there instead. So then I can just respond with my emoji reactions. Uh, that's what I thought this feature was going to be. It is not that feature at all. It's just a menu item that says "Add Sticker" and then it opens the same tray you get to before,
0: which is especially a letdown when this was announced at WWDC and is only
1: now becoming available. Yeah, when it was uh, delayed from point zero, it was like, "Well, yeah, because there's a you know, it's a big UI change. There's going to be a lot of stuff, yeah. <laughs> and it's literally just one button. It's like, oh, that's sad. Because if you do want to add emoji stickers to a bubble, um, it's actually probably even faster to do it the way you could do before which is go to the emoji keyboard long press an emoji and then drag it into the canvas and then it will then it will drop as a sticker which is a new feature in i 17 i had to use that on some occasions which is nice uh but it's that's almost as fast as long pressing and then clicking add sticker and then waiting for the tray to appear and then clicking the emoji from there so yeah i don't really get it unfortunately i hope they keep working on this and come back next year with what everybody actually wants, which is emoji reactions.
0: A couple other small things in 17.2, their new widgets for the clock and the weather app. The clock one is nice. It's a digital clock for the first time. Apple only had analog clocks before. I like this one for standby mode. Um, anything else? Oh, Apple Music now integrates with focus filters. So basically you can link Apple Music to a focus mode And then choose to, if music is played while in that focus mode, whether that music will impact your recommendations and mixes and appear in recently played or not. So maybe if you're like in the car with your kids or something and you're listening to their music and you don't want that to impact your recommendations and like your Apple Music replay, just create
1: a focus filter for that. That's a cool idea, but I didn't really necessarily expect it to be like a focus oriented thing. Yeah, I don't know. It's a very weird implementation
0: of something people have been asking for, yeah. for a long time.
1: I mean, maybe in like iOS eighteen, they have like a guest mode, which is basically like a focus under the behind the scenes. It's just presented with like different yeah. UI, and then that kind of you know ignore listening history is it makes it much more sense if it was under like a guest mode thing. It doesn't really feel right that you'd make like a guest mode focus mode, even though that's right now where you find that feature. One thing people say is like they
0: listen to like ambient music while they're going to sleep. So you could link it right. to okay, your yeah, sleep yeah. focus mode or maybe like a driving... Because they want... Apple, I think, f- almost forces you to make a driving focus mode. So maybe you could integrate it there somehow. But yeah, a weird implementation. I mean, Spotify just has like a plain old private listening mode that
1: does, I think, basically the same thing. Yeah, inside the app, right? Yeah. Yeah, inside the app. Because obviously on Apple Music, you could always do it, but you'd have to dig into the settings app every single time and toggle it on and off. Yeah. And... Um, so yeah, it's a bit of a it's a nice feature, but it's a bit randomly placed, I think. And then the other thing I wanted to shout out from seventeen point two is we have like the first acknowledgement that the Vision Pro is a real product in software. Oh yeah, because in the AirPlay and Handoff settings, there's now a toggle for AirPlay Receiver. It says stream or share content from Apple Vision Pro to your iPhone. So basically, it's like screen mirroring. So the person wears the Vision Pro, and somebody else can see what's happening inside the Vision Pro headset through your iPhone. Which that's what Apple used during my demo
0: of Vision Pro at WWDC. The Apple marketing people in the room with me had iPads where they were seeing what I was seeing through Vision Pro on their iPad. So that's I'm I hope this wasn't just like a developer thing that slipped through the cracks and they take it out. We'll see.
1: Yeah, and I guess it being in 17.2 is maybe an indication that we really are going to see the Vision Pro early next year. Maybe. Maybe. Or maybe like, this is just the software track it was on <laughs> and here's the feature. Or it's a mistake and they're going to take or it or out. Or they're going to take it out again. Yeah, yeah. We haven't, as, At time of recording, we haven't had a beta 2 yet of iOS 17.2. Yeah. But there's a decent chance it might come out by the time this episode really goes out. Uh, I imagine this AirPlay receiver thing is a, meant to be a customer feature, but maybe they it accidentally slipped into this build and it wasn't meant to come till later in like 7.3 yeah. or 7.4 or something.
0: Then way beyond 17.2, again, Mark Erman at Bloomberg said that Apple put a one-week pause on developing new features for iOS 18, macOS 15, and watchOS 11. So he explained that Apple completed the first, quote-unquote, milestone release of, last, or of next year's updates last month. And usually this would mean that they immediately dove into Milestone 2.0 adding new features and making interface changes and all of that. But instead, I guess it was Craig Federighi kind of handed down a mandate and said we're taking a week to iron out all of the bugs in the first milestone, which I mean, I guess this makes sense, but aren't you always fixing bugs? Well, as you work on
1: you know how companies work. Yeah, the the thing that you're told to make is features because that's what marketing can sell as features and that's what customers actually appreciate uh at at a high level and that's what you put on the slides and the website and you know the software update screen but obviously fixing bugs always a priority what it sounds like happened here is like the internal betas had some issues that weren't resolved for a few rounds of qa and so the qa team basically eventually went up the chain and was like look we've reported this three times or whatever it hasn't been fixed yet And then that trickles all the way up to the VPs and ultimately Craig Federighi. And he's like, right, we're going to fix this. We're not going to let this keep going on. One week, everybody's fixing bugs, whether that's the bugs that are actually being flagged by QA as being blockers or just like the bugs that your team are responsible for. Uh, Everyone's fixing bugs for a week so we can get back on track. And that means that the people that were, you know, ultimately to blame for the bug, whichever system, subsystem that was, have time to do that. And they have um, executive privilege to be like look we've been told that this is what we have to do now not work on this feature so we can fix the bug and then also it just gives a slight breathing room for everybody else who doesn't know the code base of the bugs that's relating to the bug they can just go and fix some bugs that they n- never have had on their list for years like you know it's no it, it's just a it's just a fact of life any big software has loads and loads of features and loads of bugs you can't do them all at the same time <laughs> and so it becomes a p- yeah. matter of priority and Most of the time, the priority goes to the features. So the bugs list gets longer and longer and longer. This sounds like they, for whatever reason, something, you know, a straw broke the camel's back. They're like, no, one week, we're just going to stop prioritizing the feature list. We're doing bugs. And then maybe, you know, the week goes up. Sorry, now it's time to go back to all the features. And then at the end of the milestone, as is always the case, they'll go back and fix bugs that are considered priorities. At first, I was like, one week
0: doesn't even seem like that. Not enough time to really fix that. It much, does but seem a bit short. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess when you have thousands of people doing it, like you can probably squash some pretty significant number of bugs in a week. Mark Gurman did also say on Twitter after his report was published that iOS 18 will still have a lot of new features and that it's not going to be like a Snow Leopard—no new features, bug fixes only—style
1: release. This was just like a this was just one week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like. Over the course of one week, you can imagine that like every single team has a uh, some time to fix bugs they've always been wanting to fix for months, but they just never or years even, and they've just never had, you know, they've always been told to be working on the next new feature. Like, you know, there's probably loads of bugs in the internal bug tracking systems for every single app on the phone, and here's a week. Okay, we've addressed ten of them across ten different apps, and then this team's addressed this bug, and this team's addressed this bug. like it, it adds up. And if it's mm-hmm. if it worked really well internally maybe they should do it again you know but um at least right now it's a one-off situation and this could have percolated out of the rumor mill was like apple's focusing on bugs for the next version of ios but german was very clear in his framing that this is like a a one-week interruption rather than a policy change for ios 18 finally this week happy hour is brought to you by linkedin Every potential new hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available so you can make a decision with confidence. And that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs is here to make it easier to find the people you want to talk to faster and for free. LinkedIn is just so ubiquitous. My brother started his first job out of uni last year and I know that LinkedIn was one of the places that he went through to find work. So go on LinkedIn jobs at linkedin.com slash happy hour and create a free job post in just minutes. Making a post is really easy. You get started with the title, job description, place of work and employment type. And you can also list the necessary skills that you're looking for. And when you add your job post, you can add the job and the purple hashtag hiring frame to your personal LinkedIn profile to spread the word even more to signal directly that you're hiring and boosting the reach across your personal network so they can help you connect to the right people. When you make the job post, add screening questions to filter and focus on the candidates with just the right skills and experience for what you're looking for, so you can target the most qualified applicants and quickly prioritise who you'd like to interview and ultimately hire. And that's just some of the reasons why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs the number one job site in delivering quality hires compared to the leading competition. So, find the right team member who can accelerate your business's growth. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster Post your job for free at LinkedIn.com slash happy hour. That's LinkedIn.com slash happy hour to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Thanks to LinkedIn Jobs for sponsoring the show. So I got a new
0: MacBook Pro, and Mayo, you finally got your big, huge TV app redesign with tvOS 17.2, right? Um, everything you hoped for
1: and more. Uh... Not quite. <laughs> It, what do we, we it got a new sidebar yeah but in a small way and maybe there's more changes to come uh maybe not basically the headline news here is that the TV app on Apple TV I uh, presumably it will write out to other platforms you know like their third-party platforms eventually but right now just on tvOS on Apple TV the TV app now has changed the way that the primary navigation works from the top tab bar style to, the, to a new sidebar floating over the top of the UI. Uh, have you had a chance to try this chance? Do you run the TV betas? I have. What
0: yeah. do you think about it? It's fine. I mean, I don't use the TV app that much is something I realized. Yeah. I I use it primarily in like the top row on the home screen and it says like, what's ne- what's up next? And it'll say, oh, you have a new episode of the Kardashians on Hulu. So I click that and I go right to Hulu and I watch. That's... Unless I'm watching something on TV Plus, which I'm not, I don't think there's anything I'm actively watching right now. I don't use it a whole lot.
1: Yeah, even though that like up next functionality you could use inside the app, but because they just plonk it in that home screen top shelf area, you just yeah. go straight from there. The
0: cause you can—that's a toggle, isn't it? You can choose to have it display like previews at the top shelf
1: of the home screen. Yeah, you can have you can like trailers, have or it. you can have your up next queue. Yeah, yeah. And I have up next. The thing with the TV app. Is like there's a laundry list of issues, and one of the issues is that navigation was a bit confusing, and this does help that. Like I'm not denying that the new navigation that they have is not better; it is better because now you mm-hmm. have a sidebar which has you know store, TV Plus, MLS Season Pass, um, Watch Now, which is the section that has the up next queue in it, and then it also has now this new second um subsection which lists all your apps and channels you subscribe to so integrations with third party apps have a have their own row and if you subscribe to any channels inside the app they also take up a row uh and then you can click on those and you get like a dedicated page for the app or the channel which is something that didn't really exist before at all so now you have like if you want to drill down to find everything from hulu that the tv app showing you, you can go to hulu on the left hand side and see it there uh it still doesn't include like apps that don't integrate with the tv app at all like netflix or whatever they don't show yeah but that is a new feature, and it's kind of nice. But the the main draw of the sidebar is like if you're scrolling down the page, you know, you're scrolling down your recommendations in Watch Now, and then you want to go back up and change to the next, to change from Watch Now to the TV Plus tab. In the old design, you have to then scroll all the way back up to the top again to get back to the tab bar, and then scroll to the right and scroll right down. Now, what you can do is you can press the back button, and it just show, it just floats the sidebar over. Or if you swipe all the way to the left on the trackpad, it also reveals the sidebar. So yeah, it's a better way to navigate those main categories. The problem is the main categories are basically the same as they always have been, and when you're inside a category, you still can't really navigate or drill down. Like, I feel like in in some ways the the uh, the lack of secondary navigation is now almost more blatant by the fact that they've taken away the tab bar and replaced it with a sidebar. <laughs> because when you're in like the TV Plus section, because it's a floating sidebar, it goes away, right? So then you're just looking at this grid. And it's like, what if I wanted to drill down to movies inside of the TV Plus section? It's not in the sidebar. In fact, there's no other button on the screen. All you have to do is scroll, 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 scroll. And eventually you find a little tile that says movies and you click on that. Like... What I feel like now is now they've taken the top-level navigation to a sidebar, the tab bar that currently now has been removed altogether should be replaced by a new like tab bar that is specific to the screen that you're on. So under TV+, Plus, you should be able to choose movies, TV shows, kids, etc. All of that secondary navigation is just simply non-existent, which really makes it hard to use the app on a long-term basis. And even though they now have these sections for the third-party apps and channels you probably don't want to use those ones because they're exactly the same and constrained in the same way. You're better off going to the third-party app directly, which generally all have much better hierarchies of navigation. So the sidebar is better for navigation, but it doesn't solve my primary issue. And then everything else about the TV app is completely the same. They have rebranded apps and channels into a new section called My TV, which I think is a, a sort of semi-admission that the channels situation was slowly depleting as in like yeah. people kept pulling out of it. Sad. Yeah, and so now they've Sad. reintegrated third-party apps and tried to make them equal citizens to channels, which makes it look less bare in that section and now they have like square um like card style representations for each of them rather than the old circles, which is a you know slight change but the functionality is the same. Uh the up next queue is the same as it always has been. You can't really organize it the way you want to. There isn't you can't like the thing with the sidebar is, like, now it has store and library or whatever, but library still doesn't include your streaming stuff. It's still just the same purchase and stuff you buy and rent. So, like, it feels very disparate and disconnected and still not great. But at least the sidebar's pretty. It works well. Like, it's a decent UI change. It's just not anywhere near the top of the priority list that I have in my head about what needs to be changed to make the TV app actually good. I do like the
0: like the pop-up sidebar style. It reminds me of Control Center. On the on the home screen now, it's a good design, good design language. It's hard to discover though.
1: Yeah, to be fair, if you don't press anything, it does pop up with a little tooltip like "press the back button." Yeah. and it reveals it. Or you can scroll all the way up to the top top and click on the icon, and it shows it. Um, so I think I think the UI is pretty well done as it is. Uh, one issue is that it's now just a TV app exclusive thing. Like the music app on Apple TV still has the top style tab bar. So yeah. maybe over time they start transitioning more apps to use the sidebar style, but right now it's just like a yeah. thing that only the T V app does. What I wish is the sidebar or some navigation would have streaming only sections. So it would filter out things you had to buy or rent. Yeah. That is my problem my number one complaint with the app, and that's what turns me off from using it. Yeah, me too. Like I, I guess I guess what I just do is I just put it on the T V plus tab and never touch any of the rest of it. Um But that's, you know, you have to be careful to do that because you click too many things and it takes you to a different section. So for a normal person, it's kind of hard to tell them to do that. They just, I don't know, suffer. Uh, Like, you should be able to filter out stuff that you don't pay for. And because it still feels like too much of the app is advertising stuff to me that I have no interest in ever buying or renting. I only watch streaming services. I never buy or rent anything. Yeah. And the app really wants you to buy and rent stuff. And that's the number one complaint by a mile. And then that's, everything below that like navigation and you know integration and the fact that the library section only works with purchase stuff and not streaming stuff it all falls out from that main situation which is like at its core the tv app is still the itunes videos app from 10 years ago and just rebranded and some bits added on but the core of the app is still kind of the same situation and if you go into the, you know, the, the what German reported was that they were going to replace the iTunes movies and TV show dedicated apps just with the TV app as part of this redesign. As of beta oh, yeah. 1, mm-hmm. the dedicated iTunes apps remain on the home screen, so they're still there. They might go at some point, but they have integrated some of the functionality that was missing into the TV app itself. So when you go into your purchase library section now, it does um separate there is a sidebar for a genre. So you can actually filter by genre, which feels like something so basic It should always been there, but it never yeah. was. Uh, but that's about it. So small incremental step forward. Still a very long way to go. One thing you also was just spotted this morning
0: is that in TVOS seventeen point two, it'll list three D versions of movies. Which does it explicitly reference Vision Pro? The icon looks like a vision. Kind
1: of- the icon is like a headset shape. Oh, yeah, I see that, yeah. Yeah, and it says 3D on it. (laughs) So it's meant for Vision Pro, yeah.
0: Right now, it's on about 20 titles. So, yeah. I mean, this is more evidence that maybe you're right, Vision Pro is coming truly in early 2024.
1: Maybe. Or maybe it was like when they were scheduling out for the year, it was mentorship at the end of the year, and then it got delayed. (laughs) But And so the software has always been on the same track as it always has been. Because these stuff have long cycles that you... Don't Really appreciate like German reports that Apple's working on 17.4 and 18 right now, and they have been for a month or so. So, yeah. like, you know, that's where you see the time scales the, how these things are working. Whatever's coming 17.3 is basically set at this point, for instance, right? Like, we're only on 17.2 betas, but work on 17.3 is in the midst of wrapping up, like, it's on the downswing. Like, that's how you know they have 10,000 engineers. But they very quickly switch from project to project to project to project as the year goes around. And so they're always working months and months ahead of what we see. So this might be an artifact of that where originally the plan was Vision Pro was going to ship for Christmas 2023. And so these features are now ready for it. Um, but it's not actually coming out until February or March or even later. <laughs> Definitely later for you in the UK. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> in the UK or any country that isn't US. Yeah. We only know it's before the end of next year.
0: A couple of weeks ago, we talked about Mark Gurman's report on the future of AirPods. So new AirPods 4 next year, new AirPods Max next year, and new AirPods Pro in 2025. And we assumed that AirPods Max, in addition to getting a USB-C port and new colors, like Mark said in his report, would also get the new chip, you know, the same chip that's in AirPods Pro and enables pretty much all of the new AirPods features like personalized volume and conversation awareness and all of that. But apparently that's not the case. In the in his power on newsletter, he seems to think all that's gonna change is the color and the USB C port.
1: What, what, what? Which is just <laughs> it was just ridiculous. It is pretty ridiculous. He basically frames it as that it is so minor Apple isn't planning to change the generation number just like AirPods Pro this summer with USB-C, are still AirPods Pro second generation, right? And they added lots yeah. of audio with Apple Vision Pro uh, support, and they added the USB-C port, and that was basically it. Um, which was fine for AirPods Pro because the second generation AirPods Pro only came out in October of 22 right? So like they're re- yeah. they're relatively new and up to date, and they're getting all the new software features and everything else. Like iOS 17 added like four new features for AirPods Pro, like impactful features, big things. Uh, AirPods. Max get nothing. They haven't been updated since twenty nineteen and they're scheduled, according to German, to get an update like fall of twenty four, so a year from now. And apparently they're still not gonna get any of the new yeah. features because they won't get the H2 chip. They're just gonna get the port change from Lightning to USB C because the EU forces them to. And seemingly they're not gonna do anything else. What what insanity is that? They're still
0: five hundred and fifty dollars today. I don't think Apple's gonna lower the price next year. I feel like if you're not going to change the chip inside, just discontinue them. Why even keep them in the lineup and bother updating the port at this rate? Just discontinue them.
1: Yeah. Regardless of the EU mandate, it's due for an update. Yeah. Right? Like, it's 2019, 2020, 21, 22, 23. They're going to get up in 24. That's five years. And the only update is going to be the port change? Like, four years. It was I wasn't expecting anything wild or outrageous. Just give it the same functionality that the AirPods Pro have. <laughs> yeah.
0: The H1 chip that's in AirPods Max right now were first introduced with the second generation AirPods. Yep. So that, when was that? When was AirPods second generation?
1: 2018? That
0: would have been 2018. Yeah. yeah. That's embarrassing. You can get AirPods... Second generation for like seventy bucks, and it has the same chip as the seven hundred dollar or six hundred dollar AirPods yeah. Max.
1: AirPods Max been on sale since 20- twenty twenty, unchanged. Meanwhile, AirPods Pro gets all these features, keeps getting new features, gets an update, you know, gets the USB C update, continues getting more software features, and probably get even more software features next year, and support for Apple Vision Pro. Right, all this stuff. AirPods Max is their most expensive headphones. Many of the features we want exist in cheaper Beats headphones, you know, the subsidiary yep. of Apple Incorporated. Uh and yet <laughs> AirPods Max itself just continue to sit there laying dormant and they're getting forced to do an update for the EU and it sounds like they have so little motivation they're going to do nothing apart from what they need to to comply with the EU, which is change from lightning to USB-C on the port. Sort it out, mate. Sort it out. It's just stupid.
0: Anything else for this week, Mayo? I think we hit it all. Kind of a grab bag of older stuff and embarrassing purchase decisions. <laughs>
1: I think that's about it.
0: The amount of feedback I'm getting about buying the new MacBook Pro is insane. I think I've like destroyed my reputation because I was just singing the praises of the 15 inch MacBook Air. I'm getting emails and tweets and threads, and everybody is saying, Why? You just said how much you love the MacBook Air. Well, Hopefully they listen to this and they understand and the, the bull, the bullying stops, but that's all for this week. You can find us on Apple podcasts where you can leave a rating and a review and find an ad free version of the show for $5 a month or $50 a year. You can send us feedback. Happy hour at nine to five Mac.com. I'm on Twitter, Mastodon threads at chance H Miller and Mayo. What about you? Same places at BZA Mayo. All right. Thanks, Mayo.
1: Bye-bye.